Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Africast. We've got a bit of a special edition this week because we're one man down. Um, but as always, it's myself, Clinton Matos, and joining me is Brendan Lott. Hello. Uh, so for everyone wondering where Robin is, uh, he had a very good idea to take an extra long weekend. So he's off on a nice little holiday today, but uh, we're going to get right into things. Brendan, what's going on with Uber? Um, lots, actually. <laughs> Uh, uh, but this week we, or rather, uh, earlier this month, we had an opportunity to chat to strategic, strategic project lead at Uber and Sub-Saharan Africa, Ofense Makwena. Um, and we wanted to chat to him specifically about an issue that we've seen popping up on social media a lot more frequently in recent months. And that's, uh, an instance where riders will request a trip. Uh, it's usually a shorter trip. Um, and while they are waiting for a driver to accept, a driver might accept and then cancel the trip. Um, or they have trouble just simply getting a ride. And that's led to a number of frustrations. And we wanted to find out why that was. Uh, we learned that uh, in Johannesburg and Cape Town, when, you, when a driver gets a trip request, they will see the destination of the ride, the price point of that trip, and the uh, estimated time of arrival of that trip. Uh, the driver can also see the rider's name and other information specific to the trip, such as whether they should wait outside or whether there's a code that they need to input and all that sort of stuff. Um, so the, the reason that drivers in Johannesburg and Cape Town can see this information is because it was a request from drivers um, because they want to know whether a trip is worth it or not and that, that makes a degree of sense. However, yeah. while we were talking to Offense, um, he told us that while they were testing this feature, Uber noticed that drivers were picking trips that were longer as this netted them more money. Um, this is understandable, of course, but the problem is that during this test, they noticed that there was a problem. So what they decided to do is introduce an incentive in which drivers who take shorter trips earn a larger percentage of the trip's total fee. So generally, Uber takes a fee from drivers. Uh, it's usually around 25%, although this differs from city to city and country to country, as we've learned while trying to research the story. Um, the, the issue here now is that we don't know how much this incentive is, but it's clearly not big enough because drivers are still opting out of taking shorter trips. So... Um, what has been happening, uh, or, sorry, rather, in uh, consultations with drivers, Uber discovered that uh, drivers are renting vehicles from third parties uh, that aren't approved by Uber, and rental fees can exceed 2,800 Rand per week in some places, um, which is ridiculous. And it works out to something ridiculous like 11,000 Rand or something over the, over the course of a month. Um, and we asked Uber if they're okay with this happening, and they said that they're not, um, but that it is working to address the matter. Um, so during sign-up process, drivers are required to have a public driver's permit, roadworthy certificate, operating permits, and they need to pass background checks. In addition, a third party inspects the vehicle that will, use, will be used. So if you're renting a, a vehicle, as Offensive quite rightly points out, you don't say, I'm renting this vehicle. You say, I'm here to register this vehicle. But what strikes me as odd is that Uber should have a system in place, to my mind, where approved fleet services that offer vehicle rentals um, can pass through these inspections, but fleet owners who 
aren't accredited by Uber that are charging these ridiculous amounts of money to rent a vehicle per week aren't allowed to to get in through Uber. Um, obviously, Uber hasn't committed to anything yet because it needs to go through head office and there's a whole process that needs to be followed. Um, but essentially what we figured, or we did some quick maths, and assuming a 25% fee that Uber takes, um, which is right at the low end, because obviously if it's a short trip, you're getting, you, you might be earning more in Johannesburg and Cape Town. Uh, we calculated that it would take 81 short trips per week for a driver just to pay their vehicle rental, which is ridiculous. That's before you take into account fuel, maintenance costs. Um, and of course, not all drivers are renting vehicles, but... For the, the drivers who are, this is a massive amount of work that goes into just being able to pay your car rental fees. So while a driver might be earning more um, from a shorter trip percentage-wise, the actual total amount they're making is far less. So calculating on a 25% trip, uh, on a 25% fee that Uber takes for a three-kilometer trip uh, that costs 46 rand, the Uber driver takes home 34 rand 60. Um, which very little it's very little i mean i suppose it's all a matter of perspective right because a longer trip you would take home more um than 34 rand but this is the problem where we now find ourselves in where drivers have to pay massive amounts to stay on the road um and as such they are not inclined to take shorter trips which is something i completely understand but also uber needs to step in here and do something um yeah this sounds like a just a logistics problem that, like you said, Uber needs to sort out because it's their platform. And if they're not incentivizing short trips um, well enough, then you know, then don't offer that service. I mean, they yes. they build themselves as offering. Um, I was going to say deliveries, delivering people. <laughs> uh, they offer these rides, uh, you know, short, long, medium, whatever you need. So, yeah, they need to get a move on on their end. It really sounds yeah. like it's their problem alone and the, the drivers have nothing to do with it except being smart yeah i mean i don't blame the drivers for this at all especially if you have to make up the amount of money that you do in order to keep driving on the road and making money and i mean lots of drivers do this in our experience or in my personal experience using uber over the last couple of years um the drivers that i've spoken to this has been a problem since like as far back as 2018 so i mean this is not a new problem that has faced drivers but uber is now cognizant of it and like i said maybe what they should do is create a database where the fleet the fleet owners that they do work with are able to have their vehicles on the service without issue but those that aren't approved by uber they get flagged um yeah maybe that's a solution i don't know i don't work for uber but i do think that this is something like you say clinton that they need to address it's a logistics problem that they need to address and hopefully they can um, yeah. because, yeah, shorter trips are kind of the lifeblood of Uber. I mean, especially yeah. if you're in the city, you're not taking massive long trips all the time. Um, and I can understand, like, yeah, the once in a while that you do go to the airports and the folks that catch an Uber to the airport. But, yeah, I don't know how Uber's going to address this. I just hope that they do. Um, so if you are experiencing your Uber ride getting cancelled a lot... Uh, my suggestion is, ironically, use Bolt, uh, because what I found is that while I can't find a trip with Uber, I can with Bolt. So, yeah, maybe explore some other some other ride-sharing apps. I know that Didi is available in South Africa. Bolt, um, I know, folks, there are 
people that aren't fans of bolts, but you're really desperate for a ride. Um, yeah. Yeah. Take what you can get sometimes. Um, exactly. And all of this is just going to become worse with the, uh, I don't know what to call it. It's not a petrol crisis and it's not a petrol shortage, but it is petrol going way up. And I don't want to yeah. get into the weeds of why uh, yeah. my opinion here of this is basically the uh, the fuel company screwing us over. But I just do want to add that it's probably going to get worse as um, petrol gets more expensive. Uh, Robin, he's not here. He wrote a story recently um, that they're predicting that the price of petrol will have the biggest increase coming now in April. So, yeah, it seems like this problem is only, get worse, only going to get worse and uh, Uber needs to make a change. Yeah. Um, we're going to go from uh, traveling locally to traveling internationally because there's been some big news in the Pokemon world. So a lot of people just think that Pokemon is a, um, a very casual thing, but uh, not a lot of people realize that there is not only a competitive side to all the facets of Pokemon, but also a competitive side that the Pokemon Company International actually um, nurtures and they put money into and they host tournaments and there's an entire scene. And that is all culminating later this year in the World Championships. And what makes this one special is that there hasn't been a World Championship uh, in the last two years. Uh, 2020 and 2021 had this cancelled uh, because of the pandemic, obviously. So this new one that is happening later this year, which just got a um, just got a date, it's it's big news. And I, I I wanted to tell you about a bit about it, and I also wanted to tell everyone who's listening a bit about the competitive scene and how it all works because it can seem a bit nebulous from the outside but once you get into it it's it's not that complicated so uh what's important to remember with these first is that when it says the world championships that um plural isn't an accident it is one event but inside of it there's actually multiple tournaments because yeah, that's like it, uh, sorry sorry it's a yeah, but that's like uh that's like League of Legends, right? Where they have like a whole bunch of regional tournaments and then those culminate in a big like grand final. Is it similar to that? Um, kind of. The, the thing about the grand final and the world championships is that it, it's split by the type of game. And by that, I mean they have the trading card game, the TCG. They have the mainline video game. So that's uh, the most recent ones are Sword and Shield. That's called VGC. Um, then you have Pokemon Tournament DX, the fighting game. And then also, which is new for this year, is Pokemon Go. So you might think, oh, it's four tournaments. But it's actually more than four tournaments because um, in the trading card game and the video game, the mainline video games, I'm not sure about Pokemon and Pokemon Go just because I'm not involved in those. Um, for those two, for the TCG and the VGC, they're actually again divided by age groups, which oh. are juniors, seniors, and masters. So you actually have... You know, getting close to 10 or so tournaments, basically, um, Gee, okay. if you divide it by the games and then you divide it by the um, the age group. So it's not that there's one big tournament and there's one big world championship. There's actually lots of small, well, there's lots of champions for their respective um, achievements for their age groups and their games. So mm. like you're saying, um, there's regionals and stuff like that. How it works is that everybody needs to get championship points. The thing about the um, world championship is that it is invite only, and you need to earn an invite by reaching a threshold of championship points. So um, each region has a different threshold. Uh, the reason that's done is that countries that have more events to attend, such as North America and Europe, they need to get more points. 
Um, and then you compare it to South Africa, and I, I do want to get into this. South Africa is actually a, a recognized region that's supported. Um, we actually have the lowest amount of points you need because we have so few events. So uh, it can be a bit unfair. I still think that the, the points you need in South Africa might be a bit high for the amount of events we have, especially with COVID, which I'll get into in a second. But yeah, I just wanted to bring up that you need a certain threshold to get an invite, and then you obviously need to make your way to wherever the tournament is. And just quickly, this tournament is actually in London. And oh. the past ones have almost always been in North America. Um, and the reason they moved it, except for this year at least, is that the Galar region, which is the most recent mainline game setting, is actually based uh. on the UK. So they have it in the UK. So how would it work if you are a new or a seasoned player and you want to make it to the World Championship? Well, you need to go and attend events locally. And... You can attend events overseas um, if you pay to travel. There's nothing stopping, for example, a South African going to an American event to try earn championship points there. There's nothing stopping a European coming to South Africa to participate in our events. And actually, one of the last big tournaments we had before the pandemic, we had a player, I think from Norway or Sweden. I can't remember which one off the top of my head. I unfortunately couldn't attend that one because I was... Uh, I was writing an exam that day, but my friends told me someone from Europe actually came to South Africa to play in one of our events. So that's really cool. So it it varies per tournament. Um, you have smaller, local, very localized events, which are usually called league challenges and league cups. And those are tournaments intended for leagues. I, I won't get into the bushes of that, but basically a league is attached to a card store, usually a hobby store. And people get back, uh, together there every week or so and they'll play the game. And then every few weeks you can have a cup or a, or a challenge. And that's a formal tournament where you're not just playing for fun like at the league, but you're actually playing for points. So that's one way you can earn points. And then you have the more premier events. You have bigger events which attract more people, but also give you more points. The whole way all of the scales is that the more people are in an event, the more points you should earn so as we go through the year a season is one year usually uh, give or take a month or two depending on when the world championship usually is you go to these events you do as best as you can um you get points not just for winning but also um if you come near the top um it again it depends on tournament sometimes in a big tournament the top 64 players might get points, but if you've got a really tiny um, event, maybe only first and second gets points. So there's a huge margin of who gets points and how many points each person gets, but you have to just kind of keep on grinding until you get to the threshold. Once you get to the threshold, you can then uh, you get sent. I, I don't know if they actually send you an invite like in the email or you just rock up on the day and your <laughs> name should be on the system. I will admit I've only tried to get to one championship and that was a few years ago and i didn't make it because again it was the pandemic year um which i'll get to in a second so that that's just a quick overview of how this works i do want to say that at least for the trading card game and the video game sword and shield there is an actual big community in south africa in the competitive scene um in around 2012 2013 there was a big push by the local players to get south african play legitimized and uh, for a long time now, Pokemon has recognized us as an official region of play. And we have events where you can earn championship points. But the pandemic kind of screwed with everything. So 
to attend this in 2022. If you earned any points in 2019, 2020, and 2021, those will all be carried over to make getting into 2022 easier, which sounds great, but it's not great for a few reasons. The first of those is that the 2019 season was cut down because of the pandemic. All events were canceled. And then for us in South Africa, we could not compete in any way in 2020 and 2021. The reason for that is Pokemon realized people can't get together and actually play cards. We're going to host online events, and it's basically the same format, but instead of meeting in person, you would play online. Fair enough. The problem is, for some reason, South Africa was just left out of this entirely, and um, the only other region that was also left out was Russia, which is a whole other thing I don't want to get into, but it wasn't because of any sanctions or anything. I mean, South Africa hasn't done anything. For some reason, someone at Pokemon just decided we're putting on these big events in the last two years, South Africa and Russia aren't included. I don't know why. We asked them many times to be included and we got no response, but I just just want to bring that up for those who are lucky enough to be in regions where you could compete online in the last two years. You kind of have this rolling stock of points which can get you an invite. So a lot of people are guessing that 2022 will be the biggest um, world championship not only because Pokemon Go has been added, which hasn't been there before, but also because people have been kind of slowly accruing points for the last three or so years. So it's going to be really exciting. Some people in South Africa have invites um, from 2019 already. We're really pushing to get at least one event in South Africa to get another opportunity to qualify. Um, But we'll see if that happens. And the only other thing I want to mention is that In South Africa, because we're so small, those cups and challenges I mentioned right at the start that were um, localized and got you some points, but not as much as the bigger tournaments, those ones are basically the lifeblood of um, the South African scene, and those were canceled entirely. Um, Pokemon said no more cups and no more challenges this year, and they, they didn't really give a reasoning, but I think their reasoning was when we have big events and we're in there in person, we can control that people have a vaccination card and they're being safe and everything. But with the uh, challenges and cups, they, they're they not there. It, uh, the challenges and cups were um, put in the hands of store owners and what's it called? Um, professors who are people who are qualified to run these. So it's been a huge blow to the South African scene between the pandemic and cups and challenges being cancelled. That being said, there is there should still be at least a few South Africans attending this tournament. Um, maybe they'll go far, maybe they won't. You know, we can only hope. And we are really pushing to try and get at least one more premier event. So that's the that's the long and the short of the Pokemon World Championships. Um, you can check out my stories I've written about uh, coverage for this. And uh, yeah, Brendan, what do you think of all this? This must seem like a, a lot of Greek to you. <laughs> I mean, a little bit, but also like it's not that different to something like um, Magic the Gathering or Hearthstone. Yeah. Um, it, uh, well, I mean, when I say that, I mean like the format. <clears throat> Obviously, this Pokemon is a lot more in depth, a lot more varied in in the titles that are being played. But I mean, I think for anybody that thinks this sounds daunting. It's really not once you get into it. Uh, at least that's what it seems like to me, Clinton. Am I wrong 100%. there? No, no, no. It's the, the intricacies of like the exact amount of points and then you have to try and like meta game and you you have to try and construct your deck and everything. All of that, the finer details can be a bit 
a bit complicated. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you just show up to the event and you do as good as you can. And yeah. if you finish high, you get points. And if you get enough points, you qualify. That's that's it, right? <laughs> so it can be complicated, but uh, I think for the most part, it is rather simple. Just show up, you know. That's a uh, that's mm. most of the battle. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really excited about this. I. I personally, um, I've got 108 points and you need 250 to qualify. In theory, I could do it with one more good showing at an event. I could get a, an invite, but because they all got cancelled and we, we think there won't be another one in South Africa, I'm not holding my breath. Um, I'd, I'd really want it to go um, until the pandemic happened. So we'll see. You know, next year, hope, we're, we're all really hoping that in 2023, um, they're just going to open all the cups and challenges up again. And if it does open in 2023, I'll, I think I'll take a proper good run up to it. You know, um, it's it's very expensive. The cards can be expensive. Uh, the most powerful deck right now would cost you many thousands of rands to make. But I, I want people to think about that in two ways. The first is that there are a lot of decks that are competitive that you can build for like 200 bucks. And I'm not being hi uh, hyperbolic. Um, there was a deck I was testing last night for an event that's happening tomorrow, just a local thing. And that deck is literally 100 or 200 rand worth of very common cards. So there is a big price gap between certain decks, um, but you can choose what you play, obviously. And then the other thing is Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh, their decks cost like 10,000 plus for yeah. something that's viable. And I think, especially in the Yu-Gi-Oh scene, there's a big Yu-Gi-Oh scene in um, South Africa as well. The Yu-Gi-Oh cards are insane. I can't believe how much the people pay for the cards. Like, you need a 5,000 Rand card and you need, like, three of them in your deck to be competitive, which is insane. And I just want to say, in, in Pokemon, that almost never happens. The most expensive card right now is, like, 750 bucks for a competitive card. But if you just wait a while, it will become cheaper. And again, there are cheaper versions. So, yeah, everybody who wants to get involved can just go to the Pokemon site. There's an event locator again, which might not work because of the pandemic and everything's been cancelled. But if you go to your local card store and you ask them about it, they can probably point you in the right direction. And then we usually have stuff like Facebook groups and WhatsApp groups, which you can then jump on. And the community is very inviting. So, yeah, that's the Pokemon World Championships. It's going to happen... Um, between the 18th and the 21st of August. And we're really excited for it. Maybe I'll be there. Maybe I won't. <laughs> uh, probably won't because of all the cancellations. So that's Pokemon. And we're going to move on to more general idea about gaming. Um, Brendan, do you want to start yeah. us off with this topic? So uh, if you don't know, um, the latest from software title, Elden Ring, has been out for since the 24th, correct? Uh, I, I can't remember. Uh, it's been out for a couple of weeks. So the yeah. reason we, we, we don't know is because we haven't reviewed it. Um, that's likely due to the fact that we requested a PC code and uh, the PC version has been less than stellar uh, since launch. Um, but it's the release of this game has once again sparked the debate about whether video games should have an easy mode or rather video games like that should have an easy mode. Um to my, from what I've seen online, uh, Elden Ring does seem like it has a easy mode in the form of summons, uh, where you can have an NPC summoned into battle to help you dispatch an enemy, um, and that's kind of sort of frowned upon. 
but I suppose there's a lot of things that are frowned upon in the Souls community uh, or the From Game community, uh, especially talk of an easy mode. Um, so I think that people might be shocked by the fact that a couple of game journalists are about to say, well, my opinion at least is that games like this shouldn't have an easy mode simply because failing is part of the experience and losing is part of the experience. Um, before we go any further, Clinton, what do you think? Do you think games like this should have an easy mode? Man, I, I can't give you a yes or no answer. I think games like this should give people more options and I'll get into the specifics of that statement there. Um, yeah, I'll get into that in a bit because I think you want to add a bit more before we really get into it. But I think they should give people more options and I don't really believe in the whole, you know, ex experience the game the way the intended, uh, the creators intended it and that's sacred and everything. I think that's a bit of baloney. I mean, I covered this extensively a few years ago when Netflix announced they were giving um, playback speed options to viewers. And a lot of people, the like Hollywood elites were like, oh, you're going to ruin my vision. You can't do this to me. And they were just kind of making a stink for nothing. And they're, their point was basically I intended it to be watched like this. And if you watch it in a different way, you know, then <laughs> they, they have a very poor opinion of you and they hated Netflix. And it's funny because since then Netflix just added it in and uh, no one's really talked about it since. So I, I think the conversation is less to do about difficulty itself and more to do about options. But uh, let's get into Brendan. Yeah. You, so, so you think there shouldn't be yeah, an so option? You think so, the game should just be just Yeah, so for me, I think games like this, the, the idea is the idea behind them is failure. Like if you look at how these games play out, you will meet a boss and the boss will dispatch you in like the first move set. And then you can either get angry and upset and throw the controller against the wall, or you can approach it from this is a problem, how do I solve it? Um, because I think what a lot of people forget about Dark Souls games and Elden Ring and games like this, uh, Sekiro, and oh, there's so many of them now. Um, yeah, what what makes these games unique is that the the bosses that you fight aren't just randomly doing whatever they want to do. They've got a move set that they draw from, and the idea is that you should learn what this move set is, so that you can anticipate certain attacks, so that you can find gaps. And the more you fail, the better you become, which sounds really, really weird because that doesn't make sense that the more you fail, the better you become. But it, it does ring true in these sorts of games. And I recently had an experience similar to this with Destiny where there's a new raid and if you don't nail certain mechanics, you fail. Um, and it, it's really demanding. But once you finish, once you've nailed those mechanics and you understand what's happening, Number one, it becomes almost easy in a sense, but you also have the sense of accomplishment that I have done something that I thought was impossible. Now, I know that that's a really, what's the word, esoteric sort of way of thinking of things, but I mean, it, the whole thing of gaming is esoteric, right? I mean, we're doing yeah. this to try and escape from the real world and whatever, but for me for me it's it's a it's the sense of accomplishment that follows these things sorry Clinton, you yeah. wanted to say something no i wanted to say um there's, there's been a lot of conversation about you know what is art and then that becomes you know what is a video game and i think a, a lot of people agree that the definition of a video game is that it needs to have a failure state mm. i.e you die or 
you can't progress until you accomplish something. Mm. And I think most people agree that the failure state is kind of central to video gaming. Otherwise, you're, you know, you're just watching a movie or a TV show. So yeah. when we talk about failure as part of the experience, that's just unique to games. You know, you need a failure state. Um, otherwise, you should just watch a movie. So I agree with you in that sense. Um, I don't know if you want to add more, but I, I, I want to... No, no, go, go ahead. About what I, I meant earlier about giving people options. Why do these games still not have a pause button? It's the most, it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And people who defend this say, oh, it's online and the proper source experience is that anyone can come and backstab you at any point and you need to read messages on the floor. Man, I need to go to the bathroom sometimes. Yeah. I pause the stupid game. So when I talk about, I agree with an easy mode, I don't agree with an easy mode or whatever. I always think, that the person um, who is the end user, right? The player in this point, yeah. in this example, or, you know, the reader of a book or whatever, they, I don't want to be like completely ridiculous here, but they are the king of what's happening here, right? Yeah. They paid money for your product. The transaction has happened. They should get to do whatever they want with this thing, right? They should be able to play that game however they want. They should be able to not play the game if they don't want to. They can play 10 minutes and say, not for me. I paid for it. I'm not going to play it anymore. If you buy a book, it's within your eyes to take that book outside and burn it. If you buy a movie, it's within your eyes not to watch that movie, right? Mm. I, I'm really for you know consumer advocacy and people being able to own what they pay for and to do whatever they want with them. And video games, again, are such a unique medium that I think that extends to accessibility which i want to talk to you about about forza which came out a few months ago and that yeah. was a big conversation which related to dark souls and um Alden ring um but they should be able to have options of what they do i don't understand why these games won't just let you pause and going off of all my logic you would think now i'm going to say on top of this i think there should be difficulty levels and I, I still don't know if I want to say yes or no in this conversation because I, I have played the Odd Souls games. I like them. I think that I haven't played one for a while, though. I think the last kind of Souls inspired game I sat down and completed was the first, The Surge, um, which was pretty good. I don't understand why the game creators are looking at their games in such a way where they are so unwilling to give people options. And this is a good time to talk about Forza Horizon 5. So, Brendan, you reviewed that game for the site, and I also played it extensively at launch because it was part of Game Pass. Mm. Um, you just want to talk about some of the options that that game has um, because the options it gives you are insane, actually. It it lets you do so much with how you experience that game. Yes. And uh, one of them in uh, especially is um, game speed. Yeah. So you can what you can do in Forza Horizon 5 is you can essentially set the speed at which the game is played. So if you are somebody who has a disability, say, or you, you maybe can't comprehend the speed at which the cars go, whatever your issue is, um, you can set Forza to be a little bit slower, right? So you don't have to take corners at lightning lightning speed you can be a bit slower about how you do that and they slow everything down to your level um in a sense in a way that that still makes it feel competitive so it's yeah. not basically giving gifting you a win on a silver platter it just makes it easier for you to be competitive that extends down to the difficulty modes as well where 
if you're playing on easy, you're not going to have like you're not going to just win outright. You're gonna have to fight for it a little bit. And that to me kind of preserves that that feeling of accomplishment that I was speaking about earlier, while also, as Clinton says, kind of making the game more accessible to more people. And I suppose that's a, that's a really good compromise, right? It's it's not yeah. just it's not just like, oh, well, you know, we think our game should be played on the hardest difficulty so that you get the real experience. Yeah, so um, that actually, it was the complete physics of the game was mm. able to slow down, um, which is an amazing technical achievement, but it really speaks to how inviting the game is. And I mean, they've got so many options like that. I think recently they added sign language to it. Yeah, so and just after, straight after launch, a week after launch, they added yeah. sign language for the main cutscenes and stuff. So if you had hearing problems, uh, you could follow along with American Sign Language. Yeah, and a lot of people are saying um, it already has extensive captioning. And people are saying, oh, why do you need captioning and sign language? And there's a big difference between the two. Again, I won't get into that. But it, it just, again, it speaks to these developers. They really know that they're making something for people to enjoy and they allowing people to enjoy it how they like. And now yeah. um, another thing I want to mention is that Forza Horizon 5 has a lot of online components. And when you do use that um, slowdown feature, it does disable the online. And again, you could do that in Elden Ring. <laughs> so it's not just enjoying the game the way you want to enjoy it. I think it's also a question of um, allowing more people to enjoy these games. Yeah. I mean... I don't want to be dramatic and say, oh, what if you're missing an arm or whatever? How do you play Elden Ring? But I want to just say, like, for myself, I'm really struggling with my thumbs now. I'm, I don't think I have arthritis yet, but just repetitive strain injuries, I find it very hard to use a controller recently, and that makes playing a game like Elden Ring difficult. And mm. yes, you can use the mouse and keyboard, but that's not as good at all. <laughs> Anyone who plays those old ports of the Souls games can tell you, mouse and keyboard is uh, no bueno. It's not a good time. <laughs> yeah. so, so if I have a problem with my thumbs, but everything else about me is fine to play these difficult games, why can't I have a crutch to help me enjoy this game? So, uh, And a lot of people, sorry, I just want to end here. Yeah. A lot of people would say, well, then you just don't play that game. You know, there's an almost infinite, there's a, okay, there's a functionally infinite amount of entertainment in the world. And there's more stuff coming out every day. You don't have to play this specific game. But like, why not? Sorry, I cut you off there, Brendan. <laughs> no, what no. Did you want? Uh, so, just to to, to uh, highlight something with accessibility. So, in Destiny, for instance, you have single fire weapons that require you click the mouse or press a trigger every time you want to fire. Um, and you bringing up the the mention about your thumbs and repetitive strain injury. Destiny or Bungie actually recently added a a feature, or they will be adding a feature in the next couple of months. Um, that allows you to set weapons to auto-fire. So single-shot weapons will be auto, so you can just hold down the trigger. Um, and at the moment, they've introduced this as a weapon mod. And as for all my talk about, oh, the, the difficulty in game is great, um, that is such a nice feature for accessibility. I mean, I'm not saying that I have arthritis or anything, but not having to click a million times to dispatch an enemy is so nice. Um, yeah. And it's not something that I thought I would ever need, but I mean, I'm getting older. I've been using a computer my whole life. Like carpal tunnel is something that I'm very cognizant of. Um, so yeah, like things like features like that really do help just make things more accessible. And I mean, 
yeah, I don't think anybody in the Destiny community kind of saw that as, oh, you're making it easy mode for people. It's, oh, cool, now my friends who have who have problems uh, might might have an easier time in Destiny. So, I yeah. mean, I think you raise good points about the accessibility thing. That's, that's, I th- and I think that's really important. Yeah. And I want to talk about quick, um, I want to take a slight detour into another genre because, I, again, uh, I hope people don't think I'm just trying to avoid the question. <laughs> I have to give these kind of uh, qualifiers whenever yeah. I talk about them. I want to talk about roguelikes quick because it's a genre that kind of exploded over the last, mm. not decade, but probably five years or so. And a lot of games in the roguelike genre, people consider not fun because of how difficult they are. And that's a genre I play all the time and I love. And one of the biggest examples of that is a game called Into the Gungeon. So... Uh, I think that it really took off well. It got a lot of eyes on it from Dunkey. A video game Dunkey made a video. And I can't remember his, his exact words, but I think he called it unreasonably difficult. Mm. And he said that his the way he plays um, Into the Gungeon is that he installs it, he plays it for a few hours, gets really upset, deletes it, and then doesn't touch it for a few months. But then he, he thinks a few months later, you know, that game's really good. I want to play it again. And then he <laughs> downloads it again. And... That's a game that I've played so much and I've mastered to the point where if I'm playing a normal mode, I don't think I can lose. Like, I, I still play it every few days, sometimes every day, and I, I've mastered it to such a point where I can play without almost getting hit. And a lot of people draw parallels with that to Souls games and FromSoft games and similar ones because when you first play them, they're almost impossible. And when you get to one of those bosses, like you mentioned, it feels like it's impossible to beat and you're just hitting your head against the wall. And the real fun of the games comes when the wall finally breaks down and your head is all bloody and broken. So roguelikes present this other side of the coin where they are also extremely difficult, but I don't think they've kind of reached the limelight like souls have. And I think if, um, if in a different universe, the original dark souls or sorry, demon souls didn't take off and some roguelike did, um, people would be like, oh, why are roguelikes not easy? Why don't they have an yeah. easy mode? And maybe then I would be on the other side of the fence and I would say, oh, roguelikes don't need an easy mode. But if you ask me, do you think Into the Gungeon needs an easy mode? I would say, why not put it in? I, I really don't see why not. Um, will people not have the same experience as me? Sure, they won't. Okay. Uh, will people not have as good of an experience? That's subjective. Who cares? I, I really think that Souls and a lot of the other games that are predicated on difficulty also have this kind of, I don't know if you call it machismo or gatekeeping or whatever, but people kind of say, oh, I did it and I want to protect the fact that I can do it. So there should be no easy mode. Mm. And if someone comes to me and they said, you know, I played Into the Gungeon and there's a mod that can like give you infinite lives and I beat it all the time with infinite lives. I, I don't care. At least you had fun with the game. Mm. There's so much more... <laughs> There's so much going on in the world. I don't really care that you had fun with the game in a different way I did. So uh, let's go back to, to Elden Ring and the Souls-like games now. Do I think that they need an easy mode? No. Do I think they should get one? Yes. I, I just I don't see why not. I would never complain about having more options. Um, so, uh, sorry. Go ahead, Ren. I've been there, talking for a while. <laughs> go ahead. There is something I want to raise quickly, and that's to do with the story of these games. Um, I don't know about you, Clinton, but my, for myself, like I am positively addicted to Dark Souls and 
uh, Elden Ring lore. Uh, because yeah vaiti video yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but i think what you the point you raise about accessibility is really important because um, especially with Elden ring because the story was uh, co-written with george r r martin of um game of thrones fame uh, and i think that a lot of people will be wanting to try this game out because of his name but the problem yeah. is they're going to get to the first boss and they're going to get annihilated and they're not going to know anything about the story. And, of course, that's great for Vaiti Vidya because he gets to get a YouTube view out of that. But I, I think that having an easier mode for uh, these sorts of games might help more people uncover the story that's there, which is incredibly interesting and incredibly complex as well, um, like with lore pieces being attached to pieces of armor. I, I, Elden Ring is a little bit better with this compared to the Souls games, but it's still you still have to make your way up this ninety degree cliff face uh, in yeah. order to, to to get to the story. And I think that having an easier mode where people don't have to stress too much about bosses um, is something that can be done. I think uh, Ubisoft does this really well with its uh, its explorer mode for its games yeah. uh, that they I think they first introduced it in the uh, in Origins. Um, and then Odyssey, they had it. And now with Valhalla, they have it again, where you can literally just walk around the map and get a history lesson. Mm. Um, and those are really, really engaging. Um, perhaps maybe sometimes they can be a little bit boring because there's not much combat going on there and the like. But it, it's from an exploration point of view, I think that that's important. And especially with Elden Ring, I mean, it's an open world. There's so much to explore. Uh, there's so many bosses to, to, to fight. It, it, it just feels like a disservice to the folks that perhaps don't want to fight a video game um, and just want to have a fun time in a video game. Yeah, and I can I can already hear the elitist shouting at me to get good in that, but some people just can't. Some people hit a brick wall uh, when it comes to gaming because... I mean, they don't have hours a day to sit and practice and killing a boss yeah. over and over again. Like and some they of the, might have, they might have children and they yeah. need to go see why the child is crying and they can't pause the damn game. I mean, it's all very good and well for somebody like um, Moist Critical to spend twenty four hours a day playing the game and getting good at it and saying, "Oh, this is the best game ever." But I mean, regular Joe who's got a job from nine to five gets home after sitting in traffic for two hours. He might not have that time to sit and play your game. Yeah. So he faces one boss a night. He can't get through it. And eventually, you know what? He's just like, nah, you know what? I, I can spend my free time doing something else. Yeah. Like, yeah. And another thing I wanted to mention is that I think when we have these discussions, we only think about people who are already in the gaming community and mm -hmm. they're already versed with all of this. And they know if they pick up a game from, from soft, they know it's going to be hell. But I, I think about especially with the involvement of George R. R. Martin, what about people who have never played a video game, but yeah. they love his work, and they're like, you know what, I've never played games, it's just never been my thing, or I never got into it for whatever reason, I really want to experience a story, I'm going to go buy a console or a PC, and I'm going to play this game, and then they just get absolutely flattened in the like the tutorial. Yeah. Probably they'll never get through the tutorial. I mean, your first boss, the first boss you face is literally you go through one room, you go through the next room, and the bar the first boss is there. Yeah. So for those people, again, they just locked out of this content. Yeah. They they haven't been playing games since they've 
been in their formative years and they know what to expect and everything, are they just like locked out of it? And the answer is yes, they are just locked out of it. They will either have to just watch it on YouTube or just accept that they will never have that experience. And mm. something like the explore mode would be awesome. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, people, oh, but the sole storytelling, you have to read a thousand item descriptions and then just take a big guess about what the main point of the story is. And that's fine. I, I mean, the obscurity of the series is a reason why so many people love it. Um, mm. The fact that it's open-ended is a, why a lot of people love it. And we're just getting to a point where I don't want it to become so insular that no one's ever going to get involved in these games again because it's it feels I don't want to say it feels more like a club than ever before um, because a lot of people are saying you know Elden Ring is my first from game and it's been inviting to an extent so I, I don't want to be hyperbolic and say oh it's a slippery slope and if we keep going like this no one's going to play these games anymore because that's obviously not yeah. true <laughs> yeah um, but I just I, I just want to say like. Again, just just let people play the game. It's, it's, yeah. it's not a big deal. More options is always better. And just because there's an easy mode, it's not going to take away from the 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 original or the way that the developer intended you play the game. Yeah. Um. I think that's that's what people think. It's it's sort of like the the human rights issue, right? It's like <laughs> just because this person has human human rights now doesn't mean you have less human rights. It's not cake. Oh yeah. It's, um, again, uh, to, to not be hyperbolic, again, I use that term a lot now, but <laughs> it, it reminds me so much of when uh, there were the talks about cancelling student debt, both in America and mm. in South Africa, and people were like, oh, I paid my student debt, you should do it too. Like, why, why do why? you want other people to suffer? <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? It's like, oh, if, if they get my student, if they get their student debt paid, so should mine. It's like, it, 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 people are just selfish and they want everyone to suffer. It's like we don't all have to suffer. Yeah. Just because you suffer doesn't mean other people have to suffer. And again, that is that is some really, you know, student debt is a very real world thing where people suffer. And yeah. It's a life changing thing. It's not just a video game, but it's. I think it all connects into the kind of mentality of people and the fact that this bleeds into online and there's no real differentiation between online and real life anymore. Um. So yeah, I think it's just the mentality of. I suffered, you should suffer, that permeates human existence, yeah. not to get all, you know, not to get all, all uh, high and mighty here. Um, no, so, yeah. but I mean, you, I mean, you raise good points. It's, it's, I think the time has come for us to realize that it's not just the elitist gamers that are playing games, um, and that these, these should be accessible to as many people as possible. I mean, as a game developer, don't you want your game to be reached by as well, or reach as many people as possible and i say that knowing that elden ring has sold 12 million uh, yeah. copies uh, and probably more by the time we're, we're talking about this so uh, yeah maybe maybe all of this like just doesn't matter to them because they'll yeah. think you know you look at our you look at our spreadsheet and we make more money than ever doing the same old thing so why should we change and the the real Again, question though is how many people have made it past the first Steam achievements because that yeah, that's the real that test a, right that was a that was a story it was saying that a tiny percent of Steam players have beaten the first boss in yeah so I mean you can sell millions of copies of your game but if nobody's playing it that's also not really good you know yeah. I mean and I say that knowing that there are a lot of this game is massive right I'm not discounting that for a second but I, all I'm saying is it could have been potentially more massive uh, if they had maybe been made the game a little bit more accessible to folks. 
the only other know. thing I want to add here is that uh, I'll probably just buy it. Um, I don't think that review copy is, is ever arriving. Um, I think I will pick it up when they fix the stuttering issues on yeah. PC. Um, I don't have access. The only console I have access to is a Switch, and that would probably explode if you try to run a game <laughs> like that on it, um, even though I did play Breath of the Wild. Um, but, but yeah, yeah I, I have the Switch and my PC, and I want them to fix that version of the game, and then I'll buy it, and I'll uh, I'll put my money where my mouth is. I've seen that uh, you talked about... Um, What's it called? Assassin's Creed uh, in um, what's the most recent one again? Valhalla. Valhalla, yeah. You can you can play as double shields, and I've seen there's a lot of cool shields in this game, and I don't know why. I love playing with just shields in games, and if that handicaps me playing the game for the first time, we'll see. I'll put my money where my mouth is. When the game's fixed, I'll buy it, and when I have some time, I'll I'll try and make a double shield run work. Yeah, I'm also I'm really keen to play this game, um, but like you, Clinton, I'm waiting for the. Uh, the stuttering issues on PC to, to be fixed because I want to play it on PC um, for no other reason. I mean, I could play it on Xbox, but I want to play it on PC. Um, and yeah, I th- hopefully they can fix those issues soon enough. Uh, it seems like the most recent patch did address a lot of lot of problems, um, but I like to wait like two or three patches after the game is released because that's Apparently. usually when yeah. Apparently, Valve fixed it themselves with the Steam Deck, and that's like the best version to play. I mean, <laughs> if I could it. find a Steam Deck yeah, in South Africa, it's sold in South Africa. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, Gabe. Um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe send us a couple of more regions later this year, Brendan. Never really yeah. announced for Japan. I mean, you, you yeah. said Gabe and sent a sent a, a Steam Deck through to Shulap, who's in Australia, and they don't have the Steam Deck. So, I mean, we live in hope. You know, yeah. we live in hope. But anyway, um, difficulty in video yeah. games is a really, really tough topic. Um, but I, I, I think you've convinced me, Clinton, that accessibility is not a bad thing, and having more options is never a bad thing either. So, yeah, my my elitist brain has been changed for for we did it for today. <laughs> we did it. We, we did it. Right one it's... person. We just need a few. <laughs> million more um but that's going to be it for the africast this week we'll be back next week hopefully robin will be here um hope everybody enjoys the weekend hope everyone enjoys the public holiday on monday and i hope a lot more people also took friday off so they could have an extra long weekend um but from myself from brendan cheerio and from robin in spirit we'll see you in the next one bye everybody cheers The number you have dialed is not in service at this time.